Would y'all be offended if I started a little bit early? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to see something here. Help you understand what, what makes the teaching here a bit different from what you might have been used to in the past. Concerning the grace of God and our faith response to it along with the power of the Holy Spirit. These are the, these are the themes that go throughout the entire New Covenant, the New Testament. Themes of faith and grace and spirit. So if these are the th primary themes of the New Covenant, don't you think that a New Testament church ought to make those their primary themes as well? <laughs> but how often do you go to church when they, they never say anything about faith or grace? They may say something about the Spirit, and if they don't say anything, if they do say anything about grace, they're generally not going to talk about faith. And if they do say something about grace, they're certainly not going to talk about anything about Spirit in most places because they, these things that people get into these camps not realizing that really all of this is one thing. It's all just part of the redemptive package. It's all what God wanted you to have and experience and, and to know. The grace of God doesn't make you weird. The grace of God doesn't make you want to run out and start sending, sending your pants off. You know, that's, that's, not what the, that's, that's not what the grace of God is about. Uh, you know, you hear, you, you, I, I was raised, you know, in a, in a, in a tradition that, that it, if they ever said anything about grace, it wasn't the Bible kind of grace at all. They'd say, you're saved by grace. Now, that doesn't mean you can just go sin in the old way. That, that, they could not say the word grace without hammering away some legalistic nonsense at you. Because they're so terrified of grace. They do not have any confidence in the grace of God to make you holy. The only thing they see grace as, as a license to sin. Boneheaded, blockheaded nonsense. It is not what the Bible teaches at all. It is grace that causes us to be able to grow so that we can live in the kind of powerful, dynamic way the Lord wanted us to. And He gave us His Spirit. He gave you His Spirit. And let's not forget, His Spirit has a first name. What's the Spirit's first name? Holy, of course. So He's not demanding that you be holy. Although there is one place in there, you shall be holy as I am holy. But I think it's more a promise than anything. He gave you His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, so that you could be holy. So you could live in a, in a pleasing manner. And walk worthy of this wonderful grace that's going to take you to heaven. But the one caveat that is often left out, and we're going to cover it today, the one, the one hinge that is almost always left out in religious discourse is this issue of faith. Faith. Faith is the connector between man and God. God connected to man through grace. But you will connect to God the moment you believe Him. The moment you believe Him. His Word carries faith in it. It brings faith to you. The moment you hear the Word, that is the Word of peace, the Word of grace, the Word of the gospel of peace, when you hear that message, faith comes alive. I've heard a lot of words from the Bible that didn't create faith in me. <laughs> it created fear. You know, I'm, I'm sort of like, did I, did I tell you all this already? I'm sort of like Mark Twain. Mark Twain said a lot of people get all upset about the, the parts of the Bible they don't understand. He said, those never bother me. He said, it's the parts I do understand that give me the most trouble. 
Let me say amen to that. I mean, you know, I, I've heard a lot of words from the Bible that did not create faith. It just created fear or terror in me, especially the way it was preached. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you take it into context, what it's saying is when you hear the gospel, the real gospel, the one where it says that God made peace through the blood of Jesus, that's the one that brings faith. Everything else just brings fear and religion and legalism, insecurity, guilt, loneliness, exile, anxiety, frustration, F-I-G-L-E-A-F, sewing on another fig leaf. Okay. But the gospel brings faith. And when you hear it and believe it, man, it gives you access to all kinds of wonderful things we're going to read about here. The dispensation of grace. I want to call this message, if I can be a bit theological today, we'll talk about the dispensation of grace. Ephesians 3, 1 says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Now, who is he the, who is he the prisoner of? Well, prisoner and Gentiles. I want you to notice two things. He said, I'm a prisoner for you Gentiles. That means that he was in jail when he wrote this letter. He was in prison when he wrote this letter. You've got to think about this. He was in prison when he wrote this letter. It's the most triumphant, victorious, high-powered, glorious letter in the New Testament, maybe. And he's in jail in prison. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about Bryan County Jail where they get three hot meals a day. I'm talking about a stinky hole in the ground where sewage often ran through it if it had been raining, if the water level was, tables were up. Miss Ann and I have stood in that pit they called a prison. It's called the Mamertine, or their Mamertinum prison. That's where they had him. And if he got fed, it was because someone on the outside loved him enough to bring him food. He, got, he was in there for two years and got released. But it wasn't many years later. He was back in there again. About five years later, he was back in there again. And that time, very likely lost his life. Nah, he didn't lose his life. He, he gave it up. Time of my departure is at hand. He said, I'm ready to go. But between those two trips, I'm fully convinced he made it to Spain and back, which you rarely hear anybody talk about, but but uh, Clement did, one of, one of Paul's disciples, said he went to the far, far western reaches and in his return was arrested. Pretty clear. He did make it to Spain. For anybody who are Bible students and you wonder about that, he went to Spain. He came back, got arrested promptly, and was executed. But in that prison, he starts writing these letters to the churches that he's established. Ephesus, Colossae, you know, writes a letter to Philemon, writes a letter to the Philippians. The very first European church was the church at Philippi. Okay? Is it okay if we learn a little bit today? Okay, the very first European church was the church at Philippi. That's, that happened in Acts chapter 16. Remember when he had that dream of the Macedonians saying, come over and help us? Well, Philippi was in Macedonia. And, and, and he went across the water and went over there and met Lydia and won her and her family to the Lord, and then won the jailer and his ha whole house to the Lord, things began to really take off big time in Europe once he got on the European continent. The gospel just flourished in Europe. 
uh, under Paul's ministry. All over Asia, Corinth, all these, all these cities are European cities. Thessalonica, European. Philippi, European. Not Ephesus. Ephesus wasn't, nor was Colossae. They were, they were in what we know as Asia Minor, but they just called it Asia. Uh, but uh, Corinth, Rome, those cities were all European cities. And we make a big difference between those. They didn't make such a big difference between those, those lands then, those continents then. But we do because we know they're on separate continents. But it's interesting to note that Paul was in prison when he writes all this. He is in prison in Rome, and the worst kind of prison it was. I don't know how tall prisoners were in that day, but when I stood up straight, I bumped my head on the ceiling. And the ceiling is solid granite. Whack. Ow. You had to walk around like this in there. Now, if he was six feet tall, he's going to be banging his head all the time. I don't know if he was. He might have been five, five. People back then tend to be shorter, you know. My little pastor, Jim Hester, is five foot four. He's down in Arlington, Texas. Y'all will meet him one day. He's five foot four. And when something really wonderful happens to him, he'll say, man, that made me feel five feet seven, you know. <laughs> but in that prison, in that prison, it's just interesting to me that Paul writes this letter from prison. This is, this is proof that these letters were not man-made. The origin did not come from Paul's soul, not his mind, not his, even his own heart. The origin of these letters was heaven. The origin of these letters was the spirit of the living God. And hear what he says. This cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. He was called... And he got put in prison because of preaching to the Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you. Would everybody say the dispensation of grace? Now the word dispensation comes from a Greek word that I'm going to try to pronounce. Oikonomia. Oikonomia. Oikonomia means dispensation or the management of a household or the household of affairs, household affairs especially, the management, oversight, administration of others' property. Is that up there? Yeah, the office of a manager or overseer, stewardship, administration. So Paul was given this management of the gospel, this oikonomia, which was the management of the gospel to the Gentiles. He didn't realize that he was the singular guy and others would just help him. He did not know that at the time. He thought there were others with this same commission. But only one guy, as it turned out, as he began to write, only one guy actually had it. Others preached what they had learned from Paul, but none of them had the revelation Paul had. Peter didn't have it. James didn't have it. John didn't have it. Are you hearing me? None of the big shots of the, of the original 12 had it. None of them had it. None of them had it. I said none of them had it. Just one guy had it. And that's why I want, you to, I want you to get lost in the letters of Paul. I want you to read Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, 1 and 2 Timothy, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Titus. I want you to read these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. Read them. Understand them. And if you don't understand something, sit there and meditate on it. The Holy Ghost will give you insight. Or call Miss Ann. She'll explain it to you. And, and we've got to get, get over there in the letters of the Apostle Paul and stay there. 
Just stay there and understand it because this is where the revelation of what it means to be a Gentile believer in Jesus is. It's not really found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's just not. I'm not saying you shouldn't read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm not saying you shouldn't, you shouldn't want to read. You should because it tells all, all that went on when Jesus was walking the earth. But you have to keep in mind what when Jesus was talking, he would never have talked to you. Oh, if I could have just been there. I hear Gentiles say it all the time. If I could have just been there with Jesus, I would have this. I said, you wouldn't do nothing around Jesus. Not with that shrimp and bacon on your breath. He's not even going to talk to you. He's not even going to talk to you. He won't have anything to do with you. He, he, won't even, he can't even touch you. It, it would defile him. Mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. You've got to keep it straight. His ministry, he said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Many, many, many people like us tried to get to Jesus. He wouldn't have anything to do with them. One woman came and bowed down, got on her knees in front of him. Oh, Jesus. This, you find this in Matthew chapter 15. Oh, please, my daughter is sick. She's grievously tormented and she's begging. And the Bible says, and she worshipped him. And for her worship, she got called a dog. Now, I don't know how that works in Palestine, but that don't go over good in Bryan County, Oklahoma. <laughs> Calling a woman in need a dog. A woman who's begging for her daughter and have the righteous, have the holy man call her a dog. Well, that'd be on the front pages of the newspaper if I did that. <laughs> the preacher at that river, he's a lunatic. You know, well, you can see why they didn't like Jesus. Because he's just going to tell you the truth. Every, was it the truth? It was the truth. As far, as far as Jesus was concerned, Gentiles were just about like the family pet. Just had about that much worth as he walked the earth. Now, don't misunderstand. He knew what was going to happen. I'm not saying he didn't know what was going to happen. I'm not saying he didn't have a plan for her. You remember, she got her miracle. She did get her miracle, but she got her miracle the same way you got your, your miracles and your salvation and everything else. You know how she did it? She said, true, Lord. <laughs> true. True, Lord. Right. The first thing you've got to get, on, get a hold of concerning this faith thing is just to agree with whatever God says. <laughs> That's how faith really works. You should agree with whatever God says. Forget your own opinions because your opinions are going to say, well, I'm sick. I'm just sick. I'm just, dang, I'm sick. Don't you even care? My daddy would say to my mama, Sybil, you don't seem to worry at all about nothing. She said, I don't. What good does worrying do? He'd say, well, somebody's got to worry. Somebody's got to worry about it. <laughs> mama would say, well, it's going to be you because I ain't dying young. <laughs> Right? I'm sick, I'm telling you, I'm here. Everybody's got their own opinion. But the Word of God says, by His stripes you're healed. See, you just got to agree with what God says. Just agree with what God says. Stay on that. Stay on that. That's, that'll, that'll release your faith. And it's amazing what it, what it will do for you. I'm not saying the first time you do it, it's going to work. I'm saying if you'll get a habit and a lifestyle of just agreeing with God. And by the way, I want you to know, I've had some losses. I've suffered some setbacks believing what I believe. And I just keep believing it. And overall, my life 
just goes up and up and up. Don't pay any attention to the setbacks. Just keep believing God. Just keep believing God. Just keep believing God. The woman just kept on believing. She said, whatever you say, Lord, true Lord. And the Bible says that the story is told in two places. And if you put both stories together, one of them says, says, woman, great is your faith. Go, your daughter is healed. The other one says, woman, because you said this, go your way. You have what you want. So what he really said was, woman, because you talk this great faith of yours, because you said what you wanted in faith, in great faith, go your way. What she said was true, Lord, but I'm your dog. I may be a dog, but I'm still your dog. Apparently, that elevated her from one class to another because Jesus said it wasn't right to give the children's bread to dogs, but she got the children's bread, didn't she? She must not have been a dog after that act of faith. Are you following me? Faith has always changed the status of everybody who, who will operate in faith. Now we're going to read a little bit more. Can we read a little bit more? All right. Verse 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words. Everybody say revelation. revelation. Now what you need is revelation. This is what we have from the Apostle Paul. He said, Jesus revealed this to me by revelation. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not an ordinary act. When God is revealing something, it's not an ordinary act. It's not an, every, it's not an everyday thing. He reveals things on purpose. You get revelation on purpose. It's a special act of God to make a dispensation of a revelation. And he might do it, he might do it in a, in a casual Bible reading. I don't know. All I know is that God reveals things in special dispensations, makes special revelation. We even have a book in the Bible called The Revelation because it was a special act of God to reveal something that nobody had ever seen. The Apostle Paul says that he sees this thing and no one has ever seen it. And the reason he knows that no one has ever seen it, I've taken you all through this already, on, especially in Wednesday night Bible study. We've talked about how that what the Gentile, uh, pardon me, what the Jews, what the circumcised people hated about Paul was that he, he, he hobnobbed with the, with the Gentiles, that he would eat with them, that he would just hang out with them, that he would treat them as brothers and sisters and preach the gospel of the, of the grace of God to them. They just despised that. Believing Jews, even in Acts chapter 21, believing Jews gathered up there by the thousands and tried to kill him. Christians, born-again Jews, hated this man and tried to kill him. That's who James said that crowd was. They will certainly hear you've come, and then they're going And sure enough, they showed up, and they commenced a beating Paul. They tried to kill him. And, and the problem with it was, he stood up and told them all about Jesus speaking to him from heaven. And you know what they, you know what they did? They listened. <gasps> Jesus spoke to him. They're all listening. They're just listening. He's telling them all about Jesus acting as though Jesus Christ is God, and they're in it. If these were not believing Jews, they'd be throwing stones the moment he mentions Jesus' name. Right? And to make, make, make sure clear, we're clear on it, Paul said that Jesus said, identified himself as Jesus of Nazareth. Well, that kind of narrows it down. And he's speaking to him from a bright light shining brighter than the sun. That's deity, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what you call Jesus, but I call him God. I mean, he, 
And Paul is, is asserting that as he's preaching to these Jews. And they're listening. It's okay. They like it. Yay! Until, he says, this word. It says, and they gave audience until this word. They gave him audience unto this word, Acts chapter 21. They gave him audience unto what, what word? What word would made them lose their minds? Here's how, they, here's how the text reads. And Jesus said, go far away. I'm going to send you far away to give testimony to the Gentiles. He said, and they gave him audience until that word. And it doesn't say it this way, but I'll hollerize it. And then they lost their ever-loving minds. They wanted to kill him. Oh, away with this man. It's not right that he should live on the earth. Christian people now who are Jews. We do, we, do the, we do the Bible a terrible disservice and our own understanding a terrible disservice if we make no distinction between Jew and Gentile. There's always been a distinction between Jew and Gentile. Because they had one revelation, but you have another one. All justification by faith. Don't misunderstand that. We all get it the same way as far as our justification is concerned. But I had a revelation. Now, let me tell you about my revelation. I had something really important happen to me concerning this church. I've had about four, I'm going to say five, I haven't counted them lately. I've had four or five important visitations and revelations from God throughout my entire life. Oh, I get scriptural insight, you know, and small revelations like that but I've had four or five encounters with God that are earth shaking for me one of them happened in this farmhouse I live in out here behind Donna's house I want you to hold on to your seats because this is going to be hard to believe but I don't make things up I'm just telling you what happened to me I was there about a month ago wasn't it? And I was by myself and had, had to go back to Texas. I spent the night there. I studied and read and prayed. And I got ready to go to bed. And I was getting ready to get in the bed and I sensed the, the Lord encouraging me, telling me, urging me to get on my knees by the bed, which I don't, I don't do all the time. I pray, but I don't always do that. But that night, I just knelt down there by that bed, and I began to pray. And I had not gotten out three sentences talking to the Lord. And I don't know how to explain it. I know Oklahoma can have earthquakes, and, and they're, they're, they're jolts. I, I, I know that. But usually you hear a boom with it or, or something. I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear anything. But I felt the floor move as though someone really huge, someone big, someone that make Charles look little, <laughs> a, like a giant, was standing high and had stepped down onto the floor behind me. That's exactly how it felt. Someone really huge had just stepped down onto the floor behind me. And I felt the floor move as though it was a wood floor. By the way, that house sits on a slab. But I felt it move as though it was a wood floor. And I jumped up. 
terrified. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but I was scared, man. I was looking for my gun. It felt just like someone had stepped, someone big had stepped onto the floor behind me. And, and I jumped up and, and looked around, and there's nobody there. And my heart is pant, and I'm looking. I get, the lights are on. It's not dark. The lights are on. I'm, <laughs> I'm breathing hard. Oh, God, what was that? I'm not a real spooky person, you know. I was afraid of stuff like that as what was that what was that devil I command you in the name of Jesus you get away from this place you you have no right here but it didn't feel demonic it just I was just scared hmm so I went in and turned off the lights got in the bed laid there and listened just to make sure the guy wasn't running down the hallway or something you know <laughs> Listen for the kitchen door drawers to rattle in case they're looking for a knife or something, you know. Nothing. I said, Lord, what was that? And here's what I heard inside my heart. John, you've stepped into a new realm. And I just want you to know I've stepped in with you. Miss Ann and I are supposed to be here. When we knew it, we knew it. But I have a revelation. I have a revelation. When you get a revelation, nobody can convince you otherwise. You're never going to tell me that floor didn't shake under me. It did. I was panicked. Nothing in the house rattled. But I was rattled. I hadn't told you that story before because I was waiting for the right moment. The Apostle Paul took every kind of beating imaginable for torture and ruin to his life and accepted it readily, almost joyfully. They had beaten him so mercilessly at Philippi and put him in that prison. And at midnight, he's worshiping and singing. What do you have to do to this guy? What do you have to do to him? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. What are you thanking him for? He let you get beat to pieces. No, Jesus didn't let Paul get beat to pieces. Don't, 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 don't. Remember the next day when the bad guys came down? They said, we're going to let you go. He said, oh, really? You're going to let me go? You go tell the governor to come down here and let me go. He's beating a Roman uncondemned. <gasps> You're a Roman. Why didn't you say something? See, that's what I would have said. Why didn't you say something? Why didn't he? Why didn't he say something? All he had to do was say, you, you, tear, you, you, you tear one piece of my clothing off me, start beating me, you're going to go straight to prison and to hell right behind that because I am a Roman citizen. They, they would have dropped the whip and said, sorry, sir, sorry, sir. Why didn't he? Why didn't he? Why didn't he? Why didn't he? He joyfully took these beatings to get that church established. I'm going to tell you why he did. He just started that church at, 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 uh, at Lydia's house. Fledgling little church. They arrest him and beat him to pieces. And he lets them. The next day he makes them, You beat me. I know your name. Then he, the Bible says he goes to Lydia's house and comforts them. How's he going to comfort them? With stripes? No. 
he comforts them. I know how that how he would comfort them. He'd say, <laughs> they beat me. You see these stripes? I took these for you. They beat me, and I'm a Roman citizen. And you tell them, if those cops come over here, if old James brings his buddies over here to try to arrest you or anything, Roman police were not like our police, trust me. <laughs> he says, they come over here to, to harass you in any way, you tell them, you know Paul, the Roman that they beat. They will leave your property, your, your property promptly. Because none of them want to die, because they can die for that. And that Philippian church grew and grew. History tells us it just prospered and grew and grew and grew. He knew what he was doing. Took the beating on purpose. Why? Why? How could he do that? Because he had not been convinced to be a Christian. He had not been talked into it. He had a revelation. When you've got a revelation, you'll do anything but go back on it. Paul had a revelation about us. Even though everything in his upbringing and everything about his Jewishness hated it. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Jew of Jews. He should have hated us and did. You know what I'm saying? If Peter had got squeamish about being around Gentiles, and he did, imagine Paul should have, Paul should have despised Gentiles, and he did. Why did he hang out with them? Same reason some of y'all are in this church. You know God put you here. Amen. James is just telling me that very thing that we walked in. We knew this is where we belong. That's how I felt when I came here. First time I came here, I said. Man, this is my church. I love this church. I couldn't stay away. I live an hour away. I couldn't stay away. When you get a revelation, when you get a revelation, can I have a better amen here? I mean, when you get a revelation, things change for you. Things just change for you. Praise God. Amen. Can we read some more? Verse 4, Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ. Wow. His knowledge of the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? That men can be saved by doing nothing. Men can be saved by doing nothing. But hearing, that's not doing anything. And believing, that's still not doing anything. By hearing and believing. And by the way, in the King James Bible, nearly every time this word... Hmm, what is that word? Makes me think of travajo, but it's not. Anyway, there's a word in Greek that is almost always translated obey. Obey the gospel, what have you. The first definition and most oft-used definition of the word is to listen. To listen. And when religion translates it, they can't make it be just hear it and obey it. They have to, it has to be obey. Hear and believe is obedience. Hearing it and believing it is obedience. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking what religion's taught you. Yeah, but the book of James says, <laughs> be not hearers of the word, but be ye doers of the word. Yeah, I know. Did you read verse 1 of James? 
to the 12 tribes, which are scattered throughout the Gentile nations. Oh, it's different to the Jews now, isn't it? Everybody follow where we're, where we're going from? That was a message to the Jews. It's okay for you to read it, okay for you to understand it, okay for you to act on it, but it's not how you get your righteousness. You get your righteousness and maintain your righteousness. And by the way, you keep your righteousness the same way you get it in the first place. God is not a used car salesman with a bait and switch. Make it easy to get in but hard to stay. <laughs> Pardon me. That's the, way, that's the way most of religion makes it. Easy to get in, but hard to stay. Easy to get saved, hard to stay saved. That's the way most of religion puts it. That's like telling a baby, yeah, we'll bring you into this world, but before you get to stay is, no. We'll bring you into our family, but boy, you better mind your P's and Q's if you're going to stay in this family. <laughs> Pardon me, I don't think you got all that kind, of, that kind of choice about it. If you need a kidney, you still need that member in your family. This blesses me to think what a revelation can do for someone. How it can just change everything. And then he talks about understanding, that you may understand. The revelation of, of the mystery of the Gentiles is this understanding that God wants everybody in his family and that God has already paid your penalty. He paid your penalty. The wages of sin is what? Who knows what the wages of sin is? All right, you've been well trained. The wages of sin is death, right? So is death the wages for anything else? No. What's the death? What, the wage, death is the wages of, of what? Okay, so without sin, there is no wages of death, right? Okay, everybody following me? The wages of sin is death. So how did Jesus die if he had never sinned? How did Jesus die if he had never sinned? God had to have actually, God had to have actually deemed him guilty of what you, or you might do, what you would later do. He had to call him guilty for transgressions 2,000 years down the road that hadn't even been committed yet. He had to. Oh, there's no such thing as redemption. And if Jesus, if that had not actually happened, how's, how's he who never sinned going to die? If the wages of sin is death, he's never sinned. They could have they impaled him on 50,000 crosses, beaten him, beat him for 2,000 years, and he wasn't going to die. If sin somehow had not been placed on his record. That's so strong right there. God actually actually held Jesus responsible for every sin you ever committed. Come on, you ought to be high-fiving somebody. For, that's, that's good news. If you never heard good news, you heard some good news today. Held Jesus responsible. Made him guilty for what you did. Glory to God. And what you might do. And you might do some stuff, I know I'm an okie. I know what you can do. <laughs> 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 
Amen. The land of Oral Roberts has some sinners in it. Amen. <laughs> I was, uh, I love this story. I may have told you all this story before, but we got some new people here that hadn't heard it. I tell my stories over and over, so just get used to that. Huh? Poor Ann. Oh, she's heard them a hundred times. <laughs> In 1989, we had a basketball player at, o at Oklahoma University by the name of Stacy King. And he's an All-American, an amazing, good center, yeah, standout ball player, still his name. He's still, a, he's still a commentator for the Chicago Bulls because 1989, he, gra he graduated as, and was drafted, drafted first round, fifth pick or something like that, sixth pick by the Chicago Bulls. Y'all know who played with the Chicago Bulls, right? Michael Jordan. Yeah, you know Michael Jordan, yeah. <coughs> three championships in a row. Stacy got a ring all three years, 91, 92, 93. <laughs> Go Oki. Oh, I mean, he's from Lawton, Oklahoma. He's a real Oki. In 1989, his first year, they played the Cleveland Cavaliers one night. At the end of the game, I was watching television. At the end of the game, they were interviewing. Stacy says to the reporter, she says, Stacy, tell us about the game. You know, he's nearly seven feet tall. He's like 6'10 or something. Tell us about the game. He says, well, I'll always remember this as the night, the night I, Michael Jordan and I, you know, combined for 70 points. Now, if you don't know anything about the NBA, <clears throat> in the NBA, there's an unwritten rule. There's lots of unwritten rules, and this is one of them. If you get 70 points out of two players, you're going to win that game. If you get 70 points out of two players, it's hard to, for anybody to beat that, that team because two hot hands, yeah. 70 points out of two players, 40 and 30. But that happened regularly with the Bulls, with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. They were always combining for 70 points. And that was kind of their goal. If the two of them could get 70 points, they win. And they won so many games. I think they won more games than any other team in a single season. I'm giving you a basketball lesson as well as preaching. <laughs> this night, he's being interviewed. He said, I'll always remember this as the night I combined with Jordan, with Michael Jordan to score 70 points. The next day, sports page, big, bold letters what they call second coming letters, big bold letters. It says, Jordan scores 69 points against the Cavs. <laughs> that means Stacy scored a free shot. <laughs> <laughs> they won the game, they did. <laughs> you might not have known what it means to be saved by grace through faith when you came in. But now you do. Jesus has already done it all to win. <laughs> he just poured in the points at Calvary. You just step up there with your one. It's a free shot for Pete's sake. Walk away. Huh? Salvation by grace through faith is teaming up with a champion who knows what he's doing. Glory to God. Amen. But did you know when he won those three championships, 91, 92, 93, Stacy got a ring. Looked just like Michael's. 
<laughs> Look just like Michael's ring. Look at there. All I did was show up. <laughs> I got a ring just like Michael's. You see, the Bible doesn't say you're a stepchild in the kingdom. It says you're a joint heir with Christ. Amen. A joint heir with Christ. Saved by grace through faith. Amen. Amen. It's powerful. God reached to us. We just reach back with faith to believe it. <sighs> I love this. Can I read some more? I'm almost done. Verse 5 says, Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now uh, revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the, his promise in Christ by the gospel. What that means is you are a privileged people. You have great privilege in understanding this and in hearing this gospel the way you're hearing it. It is a privilege because before Christ came, before Paul was, had this revelation from the Lord Jesus himself, remember, Paul didn't dream this up. He hated us. Jesus told him what to say. No man like Paul would have dreamed up such, such a thing. To cancel, to count everything that he was but dung, to lose everything. Lose his family, lose his friends, lose his religion, lose everything. No man would do that, only to wind up in prison. No man would make up such a thing. Are you hearing me? He had a revelation. Jesus told him what to say. To give the privilege to a generation of people that would follow him of hearing that they can be justified. Because sin has been removed, nailed to a rugged cross 2,000 years ago. That if they will just simply believe that message, that God will bring them into heights of revelation, heights of understanding, heights of glory that they never could have possibly experienced in any other way. Privilege. It says, in other ages, as it is now revealed. I think that's an interesting thought. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So this was a, a, a mystery. We take it for granted. We just take it so for granted. I heard a guy a few years ago preaching on the mystery. Oh, God, he's a mysterious God. I'm thinking, yeah, he is, if he lets you preach. I mean, I, I don't understand it. <laughs> It's a mystery to me why God let somebody like you live. Uh, it, it was the dumbest thing I ever heard. Paul didn't say that the mystery is still a mystery. He didn't say the mystery was still a mystery. He said it was a mystery from Adam to Paul. But when Paul came along and Jesus showed him, it's no longer the secret's out. Gentiles can be saved, glory to God. Just like they are, without doing one thing to be good. But believing this message. <laughs> the secret's out. The cat's out of the bag. God's, God's not shrouded in mystery where you can't understand Him or know Him. God walked the earth as a man so we could know Him. Take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 8, and I'm almost done. I really am almost done. 
Christopher, just put up verse 10 and let me start there and keep reading. Hebrews 8.10 For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Speaking of the new covenant, read on. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brother saying, How much preaching have you heard where the preacher's hammering away at God's people to know the Lord? He said, he said, that ain't the new covenant. That's not the new covenant. He said, for all shall know me. Because I'm going to do something miraculous on the inside of them. I'm going to write their, my heart, my laws in their heart. I'm going to make sure that they're mine. I'm going to do a miracle on the inside of them and make them new people. And you won't have to tell them to know the Lord. They'll all know me. I'll see to it. Glory to God. When you take the miracle element of transformation out of Christianity, all you have is another stinking, stupid, dead religion, man-made. This is a miracle thing of revelation and understanding where God makes a deposit if preachers like me will be faithful to preach what He actually says and not make up things because I'm afraid somebody's going to go out and sin on the basis of what I said. Mm, I hope I'm helping you today. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. Just recently I heard a guy say, Well, we need to teach the people how to, how to hear the voice of God. I say, Really? Why do we need to teach people how to hear the voice of God? Well, because they can't hear the voice of God. I said, Well, Jesus said, My sheep will know my voice. Maybe we need to get them saved if they're not hearing God's voice. Maybe they're not real sheep. I don't think you need to teach God's people how to hear the voice of God. If He wants to talk to you, He'll talk to you. If you're not hearing anything, just be glad. It, it, everything's okay. If mama don't call, I think everything's okay. <laughs> I'm just going to do what's revealed in the book. Is that too deep? Just keep reading the book and follow, follow what it says. And the, the Lord will speak to you if he, wants, if he wants you to do something. He wants you to make a turn, do this or do that, stop this or cut that off or grow this out. He, he's going he's gonna to speak to you. It's not my business to do that. I don't have to tell you to know the Lord. He lives on the inside of you. He lives on the inside of you. You notice we don't ask, we don't, we don't invite the, the Spirit to come in this church. We don't do that. We don't say, oh, Holy Spirit, please come. No, we don't do that. He came 2,000 years ago. He came here and started living with us, and he likes our house. Praise God. That's, that's as silly as me inviting Miss Ann out there to the house. <laughs> I get out of the car first and run in there, you know, and run to the front door. Hey, baby, come wel welcome. Come on in here. She's going to slap me. She's just going to slap me. <laughs> you think you are, buddy? This is my house. Huh? Inviting the Holy Spirit in who lives on the inside of you. Oh, Holy Spirit coming inside. He's going, hello, hello, I'm here. Hey, you. Hello, I'm already here. We get trained, we get religiously trained not to recognize His presence in our lives. And we go back to the Old Testament. God's up there, we're down here, we need Him to rescue us. 
have no righteous consciousness whatever. Are you following me? The revelation, the understanding that you have is that Christ is in you. And that's the hope of all the glory that you will have in your life. The one indwelling, not the one seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is seated there, and let's, let's, not, let's make no mistake, but the hope of glory is that he's in you. Right. Is that he's in you. Amen. 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 There's this magnetic pull between his bodily presence at the right hand of the Father and his spiritual presence in us that keeps us lofting our hearts and minds toward heaven. We live our entire lives thinking of heaven. I don't like the phrase, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I always say, pardon me, buddy. It's only the heavenly minded people who are doing this earth any good. That's right. That's right. It's only those. But the understanding that God indwells you and He has a right to show Himself and reveal Himself to you in magnificent and powerful ways. I say He will because He wants to. And has made this special dispensation of grace. I say it's special because it is special. It was never heard of before. They run specials at Kmart and Walmart all the time. They're not special at all. They did it last week. <coughs> Nothing special about it. Our special, special price this week only. Except for last year when we did the same thing. This week only this year or this week only this month. Nothing special in this world except what comes from heaven, fresh in revelation and understanding of the things of the Spirit. Knowing that you are a privileged people. I don't have any problems with that. I have no problems with us being privileged above all other generations, because the Bible says we are. That in ages past, they didn't have. We have it. People say, well, if Paul had to suffer the way he did, what makes you think you're going to escape? I said, I'm privileged. Paul suffered so I wouldn't have to. I'm not saying you're not going to have to suffer. I'm just saying, I'm not saying that the devil isn't going to attack and things like that. But I'm saying that they did all that so we wouldn't have to. They didn't suffer to, to make us suffer. They did set an example that if we have to, we know how to do it. You understand? They did set an example that if we do have to suffer, we know how to do it with grace. But they weren't saying we're suffering so you'll have to. They didn't, they didn't say that. The Scripture doesn't say that. If you're enjoying life, hello, <laughs> you ought to be happy. You ought to be happy. You ought to enjoy it. But the devil's plot is that when things are going good for you, he makes you think of a sword of Damocles. You remember Damocles? Huh? Strapped him to the table, and this big sword's going by. And, and ever inching closer as it swings by. And many times they said it was an Arabian torture or Egyptian torture. And they said, what the? <laughs> <laughs> they said the reason that it didn't always cut these guys in half because it didn't have to. Most of them died of sheer panic, oh, yeah. sheer yeah, horror, dreading what might happen. Wow. How many people 
God blesses, their, blesses them, blesses them, blesses them, things are going wonderful, but they can't get over the thought that, well, everything's going so good, I wonder what's coming next. Come on, don't act like you hadn't had that thought. The Damocletian sword. No, 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 no. It's going good. Just enjoy it. And when trouble comes, don't complain to God. Don't gripe. The Lord didn't do that. He's on your side. If you haven't heard this lately, you need to hear it today. The Lord really likes you. He really likes you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. You can love somebody from a distance. But if you like somebody, you've got to be around them. I love my kids. But I like my grandkids. <laughs> kind of tolerate their parents, you know. We just got back from vacation with, with them. God likes you. He enjoys your presence. We're, we're told all the time about enjoying the presence of the Lord. I enjoy the presence of the Lord. I do. But I found out He enjoys my presence. Back when I was a pagan, I wasn't asking God to come to earth. But God is calling all the planet earth to come to heaven. And deposits his own spirit in our hearts until we get there. He loves your presence. Here we talk about the presence of the Lord. There they talk about the presence of man. Don't you understand that the presence of a man in heaven is what makes heaven shine today? today? He is the light of that place. It's the presence of a man named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He still called that. He called himself Jesus of Nazareth to the Apostle Paul. Still called Jesus of Nazareth from heaven. The Irish call him Jesus of Nazareth, but he's still Jesus of Nazareth, <laughs> the right hand of the Father. Is that right? He's still a man. He's still a man. And because he's a man, that means if there's a man seated on the throne of Almighty God, that means that men can get in the front door. Like he's got his foot in the door. Y'all come on in. Hurry. <laughs> he enjoys your presence. That's why he lives in your heart. God came walking in the cool of the day with Adam. Remember? Remember? God came walking in the cool of the day. Hey, Adam, let's go walk. Come on. Let's go walk, son. Let's go walk, Adam. Feels weird holding a man's hand, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's because of sin consciousness. We've got to get over that. <laughs> Adam and God walking along. So how was your day? Oh, Lord, I put those goats under that apple tree. <laughs> You're not going to believe what they do on the other end. <laughs> really? That's well, just fertilizer, son. That's just fertilizer. That's all that is. It, I, I work, it's, it's, a, it's an ecosystem. It, it goes in cycles. You understand? So food in there and fertilizer out the other end. See. Oh, okay. So they're just talking. Talking about the work. How's the woman? Woo. Huh? Whoa, man. So you like how she looked? Did I do good? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She is pretty cute, I'll have to admit. I, that's some of my best work right there. I made you out of dirt, but I had something else, had to have something else to work. You don't you don't just you don't just make that out of dirt. Uh uh. <laughs> Adam 
walking with God. Because God. Not because Adam needed God's presence. Hear me. He did. But Adam didn't go to heaven to walk with God. God would come and walk with Adam. The Lord enjoys man's presence. Put himself to be with him. Thank you, Israel. <laughs> Amen. His hand got all sweaty. He was really nervous, man. (laughs) Privilege. It's a privilege. The privilege of three things. Sonship, membership, and ownership. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel. Father, thank You for the opportunity to know You. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God that sets us free and makes us be all that we're supposed to be. Thank you. Thank you for these, your people today. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you'll help us to understand all that we should understand in our knowledge of you. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that we do know you. Some some of us don't even know how much we know you, but your presence in our hearts reaffirms and confirms that you live on the inside of us, that you have a purpose for living and indwelling us. I'm asking now today in the name of Jesus that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ will come upon every believer here today. Everyone here be strengthened with this word and made to understand all that you want us to know, all that is ours in Christ, how to lay claim to the promises of God, how to live above circumstances, to walk in divine health, to have more than enough. You later on in this very passage talk about riches. Riches, more than we can ever imagine. And I thank you, Lord, that you are our God who is all-sufficient, our all-sufficient God. You provide everything we need, and we thank you for that. Thank you for this great promise of provision. Now, Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus for everyone here today who is hurting. I ask for miracles of supply come to them. This prayer of supplication is for the needs of your people. Those who are brokenhearted, those who are wounded, those who are aching, those who are tired, those who are down and out. In the name of Jesus, I speak peace to you. Peace to you. More than enough to you. Healing to you. Restoration to you in Jesus' name. The God of all comfort will settle the score for you. You will leave in abundance of every good thing. In the name of Jesus. Now with your heads bowed just for a moment, I need to address those who are here who may yet to have come into the family of God. Coming into the family of God, I think I've already said it clearly. It means that you truly from your heart believe that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the Gospel. You're going to hear it here. Christ died for your sins. He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Christ did it all. He scored the 69 points. In order to activate the victory, it just takes you believing it. That's your free shot. To just believe it from your heart. And say, I accept that for me. I believe that today. Is that you? Is anybody here in this house today that say, that's me? I'm, I'm making this decision to say yes to Jesus today for the first time. I want, I want to say I am a Christian. I want to say I am a believer. Is that you? Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you and lead you in a prayer 
where you can act. God bless you. God bless you. Let's all pray together. We're going to help these who've raised their hands to pray this prayer in faith today. Let's say it together now, out loud. If you raise your hand especially, I want you to just say it out loud. Dear God in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm turning from my old ways, and I'm turning to your new ways. My old ways of self-reliance and religion and sinfulness. And I'm turning to you. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were buried. And I believe you rose from the dead. Just like the Bible says. Jesus, come into my heart. Take over my life. I'll give my life to you as I receive yours now by faith. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Devil, I'm through with you. God, I give you my all. I'm starting a new life today. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Now listen, if you, meant that, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it from your heart, I want you to come up here and shake Miss Ann's hand and talk to her and let her give you some instruction. She'd love to minister to you. She really does most of the pastoral work around here. I do the preaching and teaching. She does just about everything else along with our elders and Israel and others who, who help. But uh, I'd like for you to meet Miss Ann and talk to her because she's going to be a great prayer warrior for you and a great partner in prayer to stand with you in, in troubled times. And uh, we just welcome you to the family of God. God bless you so much. Amen. Well, let's stand upon our feet. Hallelujah. What a great day. Father, I thank you that you bless your people that are coming in. I thank you that we're blessed in our going out. Thank you that you made us the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, first, not last. Victors, no longer victims. Thank you, Father dear, that though their enemies come out at them in one direction, they'll just have to flee in seven because we are blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in our basket, blessed in the storehouse, and everything our hand touches prospers. Thank you, Father dear, that you cause the mountains and the hills to break forth with singing and the trees of the field to clap their hands as the people of God go forth with joy, armed and dangerous in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Bless you, folks. Praise God.